Welcome to Week Conversations, a new video and podcast series bringing you insights with impact into energy, economics, and a changing world in the COVID-19 era. I'm your host, Dan Jurgen. Hello, I'm Felipe Balliero, and welcome to Week Conversations presented by IHS Market. I'm very pleased today to be speaking with Alex Kiros, who is the lead architect of electric vehicle infrastructure with General Motors, and Reinhard Fischer, the senior vice president of strategy with the Volkswagen North America Group. Reinhard, Alex, welcome to you both. I've really been looking forward to this conversation. Great to be here. Thank you. Thank you. So electric vehicles have been with us since the middle of the 19th century but it wasn't really until the success of Henry Ford's Model T that the internal combustion engine took over as the de facto propulsion system for personal vehicles and just general vehicles uh, as a whole. Today, here we are more than a century later and we're again revisiting the um, electric vehicle. And this is for a number of reasons. Some see it as a means of uh, curbing growing greenhouse gas emissions from the light vehicle sector and some see it as a technologically superior propulsion system. Either way, we're living through a time of automotive evolution and you two gentlemen really are at the forefront of this change. Now, leading up to this year, we've observed consistent year-on-year growth of electric vehicle sales. Um, But now we're living through a time of considerable uncertainty, um, primarily as a result of this global COVID-19 pandemic that we're all living through. And so for our conversation today, I'd like to discuss with you two the opportunities and challenges that we can expect ahead of of us um, for electric vehicles in a post-pandemic world. So Reinhard, um, (laughs) not to pick on you, but really just starting off here, um, as part of the strategy work that you do for Volkswagen, was a global pandemic ever something that you considered as an alternative scenario that you'd have to operate or navigate through? Well, Felipe, first of all, let me say thank you to Sarah and IHS Market for the opportunity to participate here and talk a little bit about the experience and and the Volkswagen view on on things. Um, To answer your question, uh, no, but uh, that is certainly not something that you're planning for. When you look at our planning scenarios, they're always optimistic and, and we see we always forecast a pretty stable market uh, development here in the United States. I have to say that maybe we had a little advantage uh, because uh, we just celebrated the, the five-year uh, anniversary, if you want to call it that way, of our uh, diesel crisis breaking. And uh, that was, for me, a similar black swan event as, as, as the COVID-19 crisis. But you're still never prepared for it. Um, but I also have to say that my team and I, we are learning from it together with, uh, with the Volkswagen management team. And uh, instead of planning one scenario going forward, we have started developing, planning several scenarios. So more setting guardrails, what's gonna happen if the market doesn't recover back to 17 million? Uh, what happens if the market exceeds 17 million because now everybody wants to drive a car again? Uh, so if you start adapting through scenario planning, but you still are never prepared for such a black swan event. And Alex, to follow up with you, how how are you guys uh, seeing your way through this? Is this 
methodology, as, as Reinhardt just mentioned, of preparing via scenarios? Is this something that General Motors ever consider doing or is doing today? Yeah, and, and uh, to echo Reinhardt's uh, points, thank, thanks for, first of all, having us and um, a great conversation. Um, so, yeah, of course, you know, nobody really could sort of envision a, a pandemic that we're in. But like Reinhardt said, I, I think we've, uh, GM, uh, having gone through bankruptcy, uh, having to think through sort of overall scenarios. Certainly we do planning like any other automaker about supplier disruptions and in those sorts of things. But, you know, putting those pieces together, I think in many respects puts the team um, in, in the mode to be creative, right? And, and I think this is a lot of where uh, innovation happens when you're being disrupted and you're thinking through uh, how do we reimagine, you know, ourselves in the landscape, whether it's it's doing good things like helping to build ventilators on the fly or, um, you know, how do we have a chance here to accelerate plans with electrification? And certainly I think GM over the last uh, six to, to nine months is, is really, you know, committed to that and, and shown that our investment in electrification uh, is occurring quicker and, and, and accelerating. And you know, when people ask me, you know, how, how has it affected your life? Um, Nobody told my my team that uh, we were going to be less busy working from home. It, it's quite the opposite. We we're we're leaning in and, and working hard on on bringing electrification to market. So, Alex, to 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 continue what you just mentioned this this pace of electrification and how you're um, accelerating it. Can you describe to us any sales changes that you've observed? Are electric vehicles selling more now? Uh, during this time, or are they selling less? Because I know the uh, the broader automotive market has slowed down considerably this year. Um, but I've read some too that you know there's been some changes in terms of how electric vehicles are performing relative to conventional or internal combustion engine vehicles. Can you speak to that at all? Yeah. So, and certainly, um, you know, closing dealer showrooms and shutting factories down is not helpful uh, to, to the market, generally speaking. But um, you know, I, I think you've seen a, a sense of resilience, particularly with the EV market, right? There, there is uh, customers who, who are still seeking a vehicle, are exploring it. I think what's also important is somebody who's been, um, been around since, you know, 2010 when we launched the Volt. Um, you, you sort of see this, this transition of, of buyers through the market where now, you know, maybe one or two buying cycles have happened over those course of the 10 years, you're getting into the third cycle and, and people are starting to recognize, um, oh, okay, maybe an EV does work for me. There, there are products that, that suit their needs um, and, and certainly that. So again, I, uh, as, a, as a family of, of small business owners, you know, my dad always taught me to lean in uh, when times were lean, that's when you could make the biggest uh, jump in the market. And, and I think you're seeing a little bit of that unfolding here in the electrification side of things. The market has the resilience. Uh, the vehicles are coming to market that, that suit a suite of needs. Uh, their capabilities are getting better, right? The form factor uh, is more aligned with uh, SUVs and crossovers where uh, they're heading. The, the infrastructure is coming along. You know, the work that VW is doing with Electrified America, the announcement we made with EVGO, 
you're seeing a lot of these ingredients, if you will, uh, come together to sort of position us both for resilience, but also to help accelerate the market uh, as we come through this. And certainly there's been a lot of optimism in the automotive, um, particularly in the North America market over the, the last few months, right? We've seen uh, sales continue to rebound, so. And Reinhard, um, I know that Volkswagen has had a, a bit of success uh, with its ID3 launch this year. Can you speak to um, what you're seeing from your side of things with regards to just the momentum that electric vehicles are carrying forward from the previous year? Yeah, absolutely. So um, it is, uh, as Alex said, it's quite astonishing what's happening in the market right now because when the pandemic broke back in, in March and we started shutting down factories, uh, there were forecasts of, of uh, what the market in the US is gonna look like. And the market has proven to be very uh, resilient. And September was actually now the first month that we sold more cars than in 2019 at, after the crisis broke. So the market has bounced back very, very strongly. But if you, if you take this apart, there's a couple of interesting trends that are happening. Uh, you see definitely the decline of the sedan is continuing. Uh, pickups have benefited significantly um, and, and also SUV sales. So there's this trend of uh, uh, robustness, independence, um, functionality of the vehicle. And most interesting is, is when you look at uh, the electric car market, Yes, it has suffered too, but to, in no comparison to what's happening in the overall market. And um, I expect that in uh, October, uh, electric car sales are going to be surpassing what we sold in, in 2019. So still, uh, still on a small level, but very strong performance. And there are individual signs where you can say, wow, I mean, uh, we launched uh, with uh, Porsche uh, this year, the Taycan. And the Taycan is, in the meantime, the best-selling non-SUV Porsche. So it outsells the 911. It outsells the Panamera, despite being, in many cases, uh, significantly more expensive. So there seems to be a, a natural demand specifically for electric vehicles. And I'm driving myself an Audi e-tron since, since about a year. And I have to tell you that I'm very happy that right now I don't have to go to a gas station. Um, I charge the car in my garage um, and, and, and that's it. So uh, avoiding uh, gas stations and, and not having to expose yourself there, in my eyes, is also one of the big benefits of, of driving an EV. And I think more and more people are catching on to that. And I think the other thing that's happening is that um, people are seeing we reduce traffic by about 30% in, at the peak time and uh, compared to 2019. And people see already that only a reduction of 30% of traffic has improved air quality significantly. And people notice that. And I think people will not forget that anymore. And they will understand that driving an electric vehicle, specifically if you can source your power from a green source, uh, is, is better for the environment, is better for the air quality, uh, independent if, if global warming and, and climate crisis or changes happening. I don't want to even discuss this. Just the fact that I can breathe better air is for me something that everybody should, should, should care about. So I definitely see uh, that there is a, a, a high interest in, in electric vehicles. 
And um, you mentioned the ID3. Um, yes, we launched the ID3 in Europe. Uh, it sold out online uh, within a couple of days. And we have now started uh, customer delivery and also extended press drives. And, and uh, the feedback that we're getting is, 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 is quite amazing. Of course, this is a complete new platform. This is a complete new uh, software platform for us also. So yeah, there are, there are still small things we have to fix, but we are on it. And the whole team is dedicated to it. And uh, the ID4, uh, the, uh, the compact SUV, um, that we're bringing for, as the first um, electric uh, Volkswagen to America, uh, we know that we're going to have a much better quality standard when we launch the car. And what we see uh, as we open up our reservation platform and we sold the first edition out within, within the first day, there is a huge uh, demand out there and, and we're very excited about it. Okay, yeah, just to jump in on a point that Ryder made, that I think is is somewhat embedded in a lot of these conversations is is the air quality. You know, I, I think there are a lot of people who are seeing tangible benefits outside their windows. And, um, you know, you're not the first to say it. I'm not the second to say it. We hear a lot of people who who sort of say, hey, I see that tangible benefit. And, um, you know, I think for the first time, it is starting to affect some of their purchase behaviors, or at least their purchase decision making in this. So it's, um, I, again, I, I don't want to overemphasize it, but I also don't want to underemphasize something that I think I continue to hear throughout, you know, all the conversations that I have, that customers see that tangible benefit when they, you know, I, I, I lived 10 years in LA and heard the, the, the horror stories of the 70s. And, and witnessed, you know, the somewhat better air quality, but still impacted um, in the 90s and 2000s. And, and um, you know, just to hear and see that is, I think it's one of those really interesting embedded cultural things that'll, that'll come from, uh, from this in, in a positive way. Yeah, so, and I think that will build momentum specifically also with uh, uh, municipalities that will not forget this and they will work on their... Uh, on their local uh, requirements. So I think in regards to a legal framework for the electrification of our individual mobility, that will in future, and my, my expectation is that will be driven heavily by the local municipalities and on the state level more than, than on the federal level. That's right. And, and so that really brings up a, uh, a really good point, right? Which is this lack of um, unity amongst the, the, the various different uh, governing bodies, right? On on one hand, you've got things like the Paris Accord, which you have countries that are signing up for it, making commitments. But then you have a lot of city or municipal movements, right? You look at what's happening in San Francisco, Chicago, New York, London, Berlin, and the list goes on. How do you as automotive manufacturers prepare yourselves for this, right? On one hand, you don't have clear cut guidance on how to plan for your products. Um, but on the other hand, you've got this huge question that remains unanswered, which is how quickly are we going to electrify the world's 1.3 billion vehicles, right? Because that's about how many total vehicles exist on the roads today. Yeah, maybe to kick it off, you know, I, I, I had the benefit of being um, GM's mobilities brand, Smart Cities Chief. And spent a lot of time um, 
you know, talking to cities and, and thinking um, with them on, on these types of mobility solutions. How, how do you get, for example, people out of cars, which was always fun being a, a GM person thinking that, but, you know, really building mobility ecosystems and helping customers get where they want. And to your point, I think at, at the core, one of the key things I learned is cities aren't solving for mobility. You know, they're solving for access, they're solving for jobs, they're solving for healthcare, they're solving for a lot of other things at the core of uh, their constituencies. And, and then, you know, where you're going, you have all this balance of, of science-based targets and what we're trying to think about with climate change. So, you know, I, I think the way I, I've sort of framed it, particularly as somebody who spent some time within General Motors public policy is um, at the core of this is creating markets. And so my my job is to work with all layers of those governments and all stakeholders to find ways to accelerate the market in in, in, in a way that brings the customer to, to light faster. So not to say those requirements aren't important to motivate um, uh, automakers or other stakeholders, but at the end of the day, we got to get customers excited about it. And I think you're seeing that, right? They're, they're starting to get really excited about the technology. Certainly there's products out there that are reframing people's view of um, these were just old golf carts, right? And they weren't fun to drive. And um, to, to Reinhardt's point about you know, how it's amazing, right? I have a fueling station in my garage. I come home, I plug in, how long does it take me to, to, to charge? It takes me about five seconds. I plug in, I walk in my house, I go to bed, I wake up with a, a full uh, charge. Man, what a, what a neat customer experience. So everything from the driving dynamics of these vehicles to, to the charging experience in many respects is, is a much better overall customer experience. And so again, to, to reframe your question, my job is how do I help accelerate that? How do I get customers more excited about it? How do I ensure that the charging in their backyard um, makes sense? How do I make sure that the charging um, is not only good for the grid, but it's good for the environment? So we're charging when the sun's there or when the wind's blowing at 10 p.m. in, in Colorado and in Texas. So how do we put those pieces together is, you know, at my team's sort of uh, goal, right? We're, we're sitting here thinking and, and then engaging with each of these stakeholders on, on building those um, I think is really key and, and important to help reframe the conversation because on one hand, requirements are important, as I said, um, but but they don't bring the customer along for the ride. So we, we have to have compelling products. We have to have a compelling value proposition. And I, we do think we can have public-private partnerships that, that help accelerate that compellingness, if you will. Yeah, and, and maybe to build on that, your question started off with uh, the the framework of the legal requirements. And I think the the only way to address this is, is a self-commitment of the company and set our own goals and not to wait for the government to tell us what the right what the right thing is. So as as the Volkswagen Group, we have committed ourselves to the Paris Climate Agreement. We have made this a self-obligation uh, that we stated publicly uh, and as a, as a stock company that is like a, a firm commitment. So we are developing internally all the plans that are necessary to work towards uh, the uh, CO2 neutrality by 2050. The, the second thing is, is the question that also Alex text, uh, touched on is about how do we get the customers excited? 
And I think it's it's when when you look at market studies, there is a small percentage who's saying I'm I'm ready to buy now, and those are the people that are buying in the market right now. But then there's a huge chunk that says, oh, I want an EV, but the right EV is not on the market yet. And that's, for example, an area that that we hope uh, to serve with with the ID4 as a compact SUV, uh, which will be the the first one really coming to market in that segment. Um, and uh, we we announced a, a starting price from under forty thousand with a range of, of a minimum of two hundred fifty miles. And now you add in the federal credits, you add in the the state credits. Um, in in certain areas uh, like uh, California, like uh, Colorado, like New Jersey, you can get that car for 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 under thirty, and all of a sudden you have a very compelling um, offer on the table, because the we all know that the the total cost of ownership are significantly less for BEV than compared to an ICE. There are no repairs anymore. There are no oil changes anymore. Uh, the brake pads are are less. Uh, used because the electric motor uh, does a lot of the braking. So the as, as Alex said, is the question is, we need to get the customer excited about it. And I think the more we talk about it, the more we do events like this, where we talk about the benefits of, of driving an EV, the more the people are going to say, hey, maybe I should look into that. And then you go to a GM dealer, you go to a Volkswagen dealer, and, and you do the test drive and, and you find out, hey, this is really cool for me. We did a lot of market study where we're saying, when you look at, there's right now on American Street about uh, 35 million people who are driving a com- compact SUV. And we did a study of their driving behavior and, and like 90% never drive more than, than 100 miles, even on the weekend. So with an electric car that gives them 250 mile range, uh, perfect. And I can talk out of my own experience that range anxiety and or charging anxiety disappears within the first two to three weeks because you just learn that all you need to do is a little bit of a better planning and saying, where is this charging station where I want to tip off and I stop for 10 minutes and charge back 10% of the battery and then I, I continue driving. So if you have kids, you spend more time planning their lunch every day than thinking about charging a car. Thinking more broadly about the electric vehicle charging infrastructure or refueling infrastructure, if you will, do we see it as having kept up with the demand for electric vehicles? And do you see it as a roadblock um, um, that, that, that stands in the way of broader electric vehicle adoption? Yeah, two really core questions. Maybe to start where where you finished. Yeah, I wouldn't consider it a roadblock. Um, I would certainly say uh, to Reinhardt's point about the not the people who are sort of interested in EVs and already purchasing them, but the the folks sitting on the sidelines. Um, certainly, form factor and range are a big deal to them. But we also hear often that they're 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 sort of curious and still figuring out this ecosystem for charging, right? And and so we do hear from them, hey, I want, you know, charging installed on my house. I want it to be easier. I want faster charging. I want access to charging um, for, for long trips. And so um, on one hand, I, I sort of characterize that as a, a lack of experience of driving an EV. On the other hand, as a practitioner, you have to, you have to recognize, hey, 
um, we do have to build an ecosystem of charging around them, right? We have to make sure um, charging at home is easy. It's it's um, convenient. It's affordable, which already it is, but they have to start to believe it. Um, if if home is not a single family house, we need to make sure things like workplace charging um, are available to them, or we're thinking about how do we get charging installed in um, apartments and condos. We have to think about when they're out and about, and out and about in a couple ways, whether it's you know, running errands and having access to charging for 30 minutes when you run into the grocery store, or, hey, I'm making a trip between Detroit and Chicago, and I really want to feel comfortable that not only can I make that trip and there's one station, but there's redundant stations along the way, so I can stop and get my favorite coffee if somebody's using those stations that I, I'm not sitting around waiting. So building that ecosystem um, is important. You know, obviously we've made some uh, announcements around partnerships to start putting those pieces together, whether it's Q Merit at home or EVgo on the road. And so we, we have to get customers um, comfortable that we're doing more and we're growing more. And I think um, really at the core of, of where we're going in some of this as well is, is what you were saying, which is how do we make sure that infrastructure, in my opinion, is ahead of the market, right? We're in growth mode. And so when you're in growth mode, if you want access to charging, you're, you're going to need it um, when and where you want it, and you're going to go after it. And so how do you put those pieces together ahead of the market is a really important piece of the puzzle in my mind. Yeah, couldn't, couldn't agree more. Um, but we also have to educate the people because everybody talks about this uh, this one long distance trip that they make per year. But the, the Department of Energy just published a study with actually with Bolt uh, drivers and with Nissan Leaf drivers where they uh, analyzed the data and that said 60% of the charging is happening at home. As Alex mentioned before, it's a great feeling. You come the morning in the garage and you have a full battery, full range. If you don't forget to plug it in, which with a family is always a difficult and challenging, but you can handle that. The next 35% are driven by workplace charging. So you arrive at your workstation, uh, at your workplace, and you plug in uh, and uh, charge. And the car, again, when you come out of the workplace in the evening or the afternoon, is fully charged. And only 5% of all charging um, instances are happening at the remote chargers that are somewhere on the highway. So let's just put this in the right framework saying, if you have home charging and you have workplace charging, 95% of your charging needs are covered. So now let's go to that one trip per year where we go visit the family or uh, go to a nice place. Uh, and yes, that's where we need to make further investments. Um, the When you compare the number of publicly available charging Compared to the gas stations, it is a big difference right now. But again, keep in mind with home charging, we don't need as many gas stations because nobody can fill up his car, his gas car at home. So for those situations, we're continuing to invest. Um, Alex mentioned before Electrify America, a subsidiary of the Volkswagen Group, where over a 10-year time period, we're investing $2 billion in building up charging stations. And right now, we're already offering nationwide about 500 different locations uh, where you can charge with Electrify America. Uh, we're continuing to invest. We're now in uh, nearly three years of the 10 years are over. So we have seven years to go. And uh, we will probably end up in the range of uh, somewhere between two and 3,000 
uh, charging stations nationwide along the highway system. We just announced the first uh, um, cross-continent uh, route that you can take from Washington to LA. And what this means is that the average distance of Electrify America charging locations on that route is 75 miles, and the longest is 120 miles. And that with cars that, that have a minimum range of, of 200 miles. So you are in, you're starting to get in a comfort zone. And we're going to open the, the next one very soon between Miami and Los Angeles and continue down this path of investing in, in public charging infrastructure. And to address the peace of mind of the consumer, that's why we announced with the ID4 that you will get three years of free charging with Electrify America. So I think it, which combustion engine manufacturer gives you three years of free gas? <laughs> Great point. Yeah. Yeah, I was just going to say, I, I, our mindset for 100 years have been gasoline stations, right? Yeah. And going to a gasoline station. And we, we do have to do where you started, Reinhardt, is reframe that for the, con, uh, for the cons consumer, right? So you just said 95% of the time, it's going to be really, really convenient. In fact, it's going to be quicker than gasoline because you're just going to plug in and walk away. Um, you think about the time saved there, you think about a lot of these aspects of the customer experience um, will come because people will experience it and they'll tell their friends and they'll tell them they're an idiot for spending 15 minutes at a gas station every week. But yeah, there, there's, there's a lot of education to do and um, there's a lot of benefit. And my analogy is it's more akin to charging a cell phone right? And the, the way yeah. you think about charging a cell phone, because you don't spend a lot of time thinking about charging a cell phone, uh, than it is uh, the gasoline station model. Great, yeah, great points that agree. you both have, great points that you both have made. We're coming up here at the end of our time. Um, and so I just wanted to ask one final question. And if you could answer in say 30 seconds or less, what do you see as the biggest challenge today still to continuing with this electrification movement. And I ask this because in our conversation today, where we're looking at the opportunities and challenges of electrification, I get the sense that you both are very optimistic um, and that there are a lot of positives, but surely there's still some things that we, we need to discuss and address. And, and Alex, if I may begin with you. Yeah, and we, I think we just touched on it. It's, um customer education, outreach, appreciation of the technology. You know, I, I think our two automakers got to do a better job. We, we holistically, um, as an industry, have to do a better job. Our neighbors, uh, folks like you, and, you know, to, to help get the word out, the, the press, we really have to start reframing, not these conversations in sort of engineering terms, but in, in real life, how do you engage with the technology terms? And, and again, the charging example is a really quintessential one to me where, you know, my team who's in charge of it answer questions like how long does it take to charge? And these really, you know, engineer, oh, it takes hundred miles to get you 10, you know, 10 minutes and hundred miles. And, you know, overnight, if you have a 19.2 kilowatt or 11 kilowatt, that just muddies the water. We need to simplify it for folks to say, hey, it takes you five seconds to get out and plug it in. Do you have five seconds? Because if you do, um, are you going to go to lunch? Are you going to go to the grocery store? You can plug in there and make it really easy. So to me, I, I still think um, I'm using charging as the example, but it's the vehicles themselves. 
it's the ecosystem. Uh, really, customer education, outreach, appreciation for the technology really stands as, in my opinion, one of the, the priorities overall for us to help bring this market along. I know. Yeah, if, if, so when, when I made the switch from an ICE car to an electric car, I'll be honest, I was nervous. It was something completely new. Um, it, I was unexperienced. I didn't understand charging. And I heard a lot about it, but it's different to see a PowerPoint and then really stand at a charging station and plug it in and get this machine to, uh, to charge your car. So I think that's natural. We, we need to help the consumer to overcome uh, this. Today for me, it has become second nature and I wouldn't hesitate one second. to. I, I want to stay with an electric car because the driving experience and the ownership experience is so much more fun. So, but we need to help the consumer to overcome that initial change anxiety, uh, charging. I've, I've, we talked about it. I think charging, we need to continue to invest as an industry. Uh, the great news is, 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 is we're plugging money in, GM is plugging money in, Tesla is investing in their charging network. The utilities are coming. I was just recently in a Rocky Mountain Institute webinar and they put up the number that the uh, utilities have already approved 1.5 billion to invest in charging infrastructure. And they have another half a billion in the uh, process of getting approved to be spent. Then us as manufacturers, um, I think we need to work on pricing. Um, pricing is, is, is an obstacle. The cars are more expensive than a comparable ICE cars and we need to work on that. And I think we also need to work on bringing models to the market uh, that are not uh, electric go-karts, but are really interesting cars and are the cars that customers want and that they're looking for. And so I think if we bring those four things together, I think we're gonna see a very accelerated acceptance of uh, electric vehicles, even here in America. Alex, Alex Reinhardt, thank you both so much for spending this time with us. This has been a very interesting and informative Zero Week conversation um, in lieu of a face-to-face -face meeting that we would have had earlier this year. Um, I'd like to, again, just thank you both for your time and your expertise. I've, I've learned a lot listening to you um, with regards to the threats and opportunities that remain for electric vehicles. And I think I can confidently say after listening to you two that uh, the future for electric vehicles is, is quite optimistic at this point. So again, thank you very much for taking this time with us today. Thank you for the opportunity. Thank you. Thanks again for tuning in to another Sierra Week conversation presented by IHS Market. For the complete video series and previous episodes, Visit us online at sierraweek.com.